Welcome to Ms. Interpreted, her podcast of public relations and strategic communications, demystified by Kelly Fletcher and Fletcher Marketing PR. But now everybody is a journalist, citizen journalism, because everybody has walking around with their device, a little computer in your hand and social media and Twitter. And so things have changed in that regard in that now I think the social media part of the crisis preparation is probably the most important element. Yeah. And two, that's the most wild, wild west part of the crisis because it's you're going to have stuff being posted by individuals who have not one scintilla of knowledge about your industry, about your company. They're going to be passing off judgment on you without any context of what they're even talking about. And, and those kinds of posts and can start rumors that then start taking on a life of their own. And there's no accountability for them whatsoever. You're just trying to ride herd on information that is then informing actual news reports sometimes. Well, and the sad thing is people believe a lot of it. Yeah. Welcome, listeners, to the Misinterpreted Podcast. I'm Kelly Fletcher, CEO of Fletcher Marketing PR, and I'm here with my lovely colleague, Fletcher (laughs) Senior Strategist, Mary Beth West. Hey there, Kelly. It's great to be with you as always. I am happy that we're finally covering a long-awaited topic here that's been on our list of priorities for Misinterpreted for quite some time. Yes, it has. And that topic is crisis preparedness and communications, which is a big part of of what we do for clients. Yeah, it is. And, um, you know, I'm almost surprised that we've waited this long to cover this topic. We've had just so many other topics that have been of interest and of interest to our listeners. But this is one of those must-have conversations, I think, that for a public relations podcast to delve into what clients need to be thinking about. So regardless of industry, regardless of whether you're in an industry that's consumer product, whether it's B2B, whether you work for a government organization or a nonprofit, really any entity needs to have some form of, of crisis plan in place. And having those conversations, sometimes getting the process started is one of the hardest things for them to get rolling with it. Well, it definitely is. And I've worked with some very large companies, half a Mm -hmm. billion to a billion plus, who surprisingly had not given much thought at all to crisis preparedness on any level. Yeah. Well, and in my early career, I really got my feet wet with crisis planning when I took a corporate job in community relations with a company that at the time was called Corrections Corporation of America. They're now known as CoreCivic. And they are a private prison management company. So basically they contracted with local and state federal government authorities to build and manage you know incarceration facilities so prisons jails all of that which in this day and age has become a very controversial topic in and of itself and so that's a whole other podcast but one of the things that we did as a company was to just manage things much more efficiently so Whereas the you know the government may spend five hundred dollars for a door, we could negotiate it as a private company for two hundred fifty dollars or right. something. So the the money saved was a very compelling part of that story. But as you can imagine, in dealing in that industry, that every day there was massive risk for, because of the you know just the 
environment that we were working right. in with all of these facilities all over the country and also internationally. And interestingly, the company had been in business for roughly 10 years when I arrived at the company. And their crisis plan that they had was extremely operational in nature, but not communications in nature. And I think that was the first glimpse that taught me that there is a difference between the two. I mean, to have an operational crisis plan is one thing, but to have one that deals with media messaging and making sure that you have the right information at your fingertips so that a public relations or communications staff person can be operating from a posture of truthful information with the media. And of course, back then it was, we're talking about the mid to late nineties. So this was really before social media was on the radar screen at all, which has completely changed the reason why now you have to have a crisis plan and one that is actionable within minutes of finding out when a a crisis occurs because just the immediacy factor. But back in those days, um, back at CCA, that that was one of my largest projects that I managed. We developed an award-winning crisis preparedness plan that covered all of our facilities. And a lot of it was just information gathering. I mean, for example, having blueprints at headquarters and in our department, in the communications department, for every single facility so that we knew if a crisis was unfolding at one of the facilities, we could physically look at a blueprint of... See where it was happening. Yeah, where it was happening and just operating just from a general position of knowledge about all of the operations and understanding what our procedures were if something occurred and being able to have some type of message you know, for the public. Later on in my career, you know, I went into the banking industry for a while and that was around the time of Y2K, you know, when oh, we, Lord, we went yes. from 1999 to 2000. and that When was the a, world was going to end. Exactly. And, you know, there was a very significant effort to be sure that with computers being able to do the conversion of the date and there was so much media coverage surrounding banks and financial institutions. People, people threatening to take their money out of the bank. Yes, and, yeah, yeah. Worried that all of their they would wake up on January first of two thousand and have no money in the bank, or like you know some that kind of yeah. situation. I mean, there was all kinds of rumor and a lot of just consumer panic. I don't think it really ensued to a panic level, truthfully, but there was always that. That, that last quarter in 1999 was a very interesting time because of just dealing with all of that and being in the financial services industry. And looking back on that now, it seems so silly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I think everybody came through, came through it okay. But, you know, a lot of people who I've seen interviewed, especially in the IT industry, they often say, well, it's because we worked ourselves into a frenzy to be prepared and to make sure that from an IT perspective, things were in order. That's the reason that there never was really a crisis is because their industry, the information technology Mm -hmm. industry, was very much on top of that. Then, of course, as you know, I had an office fire. Did you actually have a communications plan for... We we had uh, procedures in place for, like, contacting one another and being able to kind of have a basis of how are how are we going to operate going forward just remotely. I was the only one who was set up to work remotely at that time. I had several employees, but a lot of my execution of how I responded to that 
really went back to my CCA experience and realizing it has to be an immediate response. I can't just sit around for a week and let everybody think that you're going to go out of business because you had a fire. Exactly. And it was one of those situations where you can't be the cobbler without any shoes. If you're out there promoting crisis planning as part of your offerings as a public relations consultant, you can't be the one when a crisis happens, not being able to execute to something. But yeah, and I think that that experience of anything is what taught me so much about really the emotional side of being in a crisis. Because when, you know, when you lose your whole office and you've lost every piece of work you've ever done in terms of hard copies. I mean, I lost awards. I lost, you know, a lot of framed memorabilia and just things from, and just things that were kind of personally meaningful to me. But, you know, every stick of furniture is ruined. Every, (laughs) I mean, fortunately we had IT backups and that was the biggest part of our planning was that we always kept backups of essential data, which enabled us to basically pick up and continue moving forward the day the fire happened. We really never had that big a disruption because all of our files were backed up. Yeah, that's remarkable. And I remember when that happened, I went and pulled out my insurance liability policy to see what it, because you don't think about a fire. I mean, that's, that wasn't one of the I guess, scenarios that I had mm-hmm. done a lot of planning for. We already are set up, everybody's set up if they want to work remotely. But I was happy to see that there were provisions in there for helping us you know, get back on our feet if we ever yeah, do have a fire. It's interesting. You never know what's in your insurance policy until, until you, need it. you need it and <laughs> you find out what's not covered or not. And I would say that you can probably have the best coverage on earth, but you're still going to be met with a lot of frustration in dealing with insurance companies because clearly they want to pay as little as possible. And that is one of the parts, if you are a business owner yourself, you have to take charge of that. So for all of our friends who own their own agencies or are in the entrepreneurial community, the onus is on you. I mean, you have to have the right insurance and have the have that piece of it done. It's not just about communicating well. It's about right. being able to maintain business continuity and helping to urge, if, especially if you work for, as part of a larger team and if you're employed by someone else, urging them to take those steps. Well, in my career, unfortunately, <laughs> I've been called in to deal with crises more than being on the in-house side where we would have an opportunity to plan. So I've got two really good stories. Well, two really bad stories. Yeah. <laughs> One was a class action lawsuit. It was the first year that I'd started my business and it all came to a head on my very first vacation where oh, I didn't no. get to leave my condo at all. Like, the first three days of vacation, but we were having to come at it from a position of defensiveness, even though I think executive leadership had seen it coming, that this was going to happen. So there was an opportunity to plan, but we didn't. So we had to come up with the plan in the moment, you know, in the crisis scenario. Which is the hardest thing. And luckily this was before social media. So that made it so much easier because the brand and the company could have suffered real sales loss Mm -hmm. if social media had been in play at that time. But it all turned out really well. I mean, we, we had to, like I said, just 
work around the clock to put together the plan, put together the statements, figure out how we were going to communicate with all the various different publics that were involved because they're, they're employees, they're investors, they're the media, they're the customers, they're the people in the class action lawsuit. So I think everybody needs to think through all the layers that go into crafting a communications a plan for right. crisis because it's not as easy as just coming out with one blanket statement usually. There's well, got to yeah. be a lot of different considerations for who you're speaking to and what their stake in your business is. Yeah. And I think that one, of, and we'll talk about mistakes that companies make too, but I'll just make sort of an offhanded comment that I think that the big mistake that a lot of management teams, like multidisciplinary management teams make, is that they, they think that communications or the PR person can just be this island unto themselves, just dealing with the media kind of and in this it, vacuum. solve it, make it go away. Yeah. And the truth of the matter is, is that the PR person has to be collaborating with every other member of the team who has any information about what's actually going on with the crisis and how the company is going to respond. So that means that the PR person cannot be sequestered off in some room somewhere just answering phone calls or having a press conference or dealing with media unto themselves. They really have to be very much collaborating with the CEO, most especially, but also operations people, other layers of employees, site level employees. Like if you have a crisis that's unfolding five states away from where you're located and you're trying to communicate with those individuals. So the planning piece has to take into account really more so the internal communications within the team just as much as anything else. Well, and that's another reason why your communications executive or you know whoever's in charge of your PR at the highest level should always have a seat at the table yeah, um, yeah. and with the executive leadership team on an ongoing basis. Right. So you are privy to what's going on in the company and you can continually identify risks that may come up. If you don't have a seat at that table, then you're going to be always playing from behind the eight ball. Well, and you're misinformed very often about what's actually going on. I mean, how many cases have we seen where the PR person got thrust out in front of a microphone somewhere and they clearly did not have the information that the rest of the management team had or other employees had, and they end up having egg on their face because they have released inadvertently inaccurate information. That seems to happen a lot in Washington, D.C. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no comment. <laughs> It does, but you're absolutely right. And it does call into question, you know, what kind of employer can you work for? I mean, if you are employed with a CEO or an organization where you know the culture is non-communicative internally, I mean, you're setting yourself up for some, you know, an interesting ride. Well, as the, as the PR agency or consultancy, I've seen situations where employees were calling the media and oh, giving nightmare. them misinformation and tipping them off about uh, s different situations where then the media is calling us and they have all this misinformation. And it could have really been squelched if leadership would have communicated with their employees right. at, on some level because right. they will make up what you don't tell them. Right. And they will tell everybody. Well, and I remember at CCA, one of the big elements of our plan was 
actually having an employee contact with the media policy already in place and having worked with our HR department to be sure it was in the employee handbook and part of a training module for employees to understand that they are not allowed to speak to the media. All queries need, like if they're going out, if a crisis has happened inside a facility and the employee shift is over and they're walking out into the parking lot to go to their car and they get stopped by a television station that wants to do an on-the-spot interview, you know, what do they do in that situation? I mean, some employees... You know, they don't know how to handle that if they've not been trained or on how to handle it. And they might just go ahead and do an interview right. because they don't know any better. Right. Or maybe they're motivated to do it. Maybe they're angry about the situation. Maybe they feel like they haven't been communicated with internally. So you don't want an employee going out conducting an on-the-spot interview like that saying, well, they're not telling us anything. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, and it looks like Keystone Cops is what ends up happening. So I would say that for so many companies, especially those with broad-based geographic operations, making sure that employees across the board are trained or understand what their role is and is not. And that, you know, that's just part of the rules of the game in terms of their being employed. That should always be a part of the employee handbook along with a social media policy as well. Yeah. That's where crisis can stem up and bubble up from the inside right. out when there's no social media policy and misinformation is being shared. And sometimes maybe the information's even true, mm-hmm. but employers need to make sure that they have a, a really firm social media policy in place to to not only avoid a crisis, but when a crisis occurs, employees know that they just can't go out and start espousing whatever right. on social media. Well, and um, two, having the right spokesperson training you know, within the company to clearly you always want to have your CEO who is on the ready to be that spokesperson for the brand. But for a company like CCA at the time, you may have a crisis unfolding in California. Your CEO can't be out there for six or seven, eight hours, even if they're on the fastest plane in the world to get out there. So in the meantime, you may be having demand for a press conference. So we had to have facility wardens and facility administrators who were crisis trained and spokesperson trained. So doing the spokesperson training in advance, making sure they had those skills, making sure that they would have some comfort level in front of a podium. And some of them were, were naturals at it and were able to manage that very well. Others were not comfortable with it. I mean, when they went into the, into the corrections industry or into that business, that was not something they... Thought would ever be a part <laughs> yeah, of their job. Yeah, yeah they, they, it's like that was not part of the deal or what I thought. And so at least providing them the training so that they have the resources or something to fall back on. And gosh, you know, media training for executives is such an important component of being prepared and being, you know, just having that basic skill set to represent the brand well in the worst of circumstances. Agreed. And not just executives, but even we've done some media training recently in the education realm. Right. So who are your spokespeople from various 
departments right. within an educational system because we all know that school systems and even higher education, how many crises have been mm-hmm. that have unfolded over the past, however, you know, I guess it started with Columbine being the yeah. first big one that made it part of our everyday consciousness. Right. But so there, there are different people throughout a school system or an education system that have to be trained to speak about whatever their area of expertise is. And that, uh, once again, I'm sure that when they got their degree in education, they didn't think, oh, I'm ever going to have to have media training because I may have to be on camera or do right. interviews. Well, and in any industry or company, I did have a an active shooter situation with a client, and I say they were a client, they weren't a client before. They like called me the day that it was ha- had happened, and I had never worked with this company before. And they needed my help to just come in and deal with media. I mean, you're talking about out of the frying pan into the fire. But we were able to contain that situation. Fortunately, law enforcement had been able to bring a conclusion to the situation quickly. So by the time I was actually brought into it. It wasn't a situation where the perpetrator was holed up in a room somewhere or had hostages or it wasn't still an active situation. But that situation teaches a company that having as part of their crisis plan something like that, where you have acts of violence either by an employee, a disgruntled employee or a dis, you know a, a customer or just someone walking in off the street. Yeah, we see these things happen on such a more routine basis than we ever did many years ago. So being prepared for that kind of scenario, very sadly, is part of the the list, I guess you'd say, of things you have to be ready for. And here's one that you wouldn't think about. So we were hired by a school bus contracting service uh-huh. that was transporting kids to and from school. They hired us to be on call in case there was a crisis. We went out and we trained their drivers and their regional spokespeople what to do in crisis situations, but we also carried a hotline phone yeah. <laughs> every yeah. morning and every afternoon that everybody took turns with because we were literally on call. And it, And I thought that was very proactive for a third-party subcontractor to go to those lengths to hire a PR firm and have them on call every day when school was in. Mm -hmm. I doubt that happens that often. Yeah, yeah. Well, looking to more present and recent issues, what's a crisis spotlighted in the media, Kelly, that you think could have been managed better? When When you think about things that have happened just recently in terms of let's all learn our mistakes from other people instead of making our own. That's what I usually recommend to clients when they're embarking on something like this is doing a little bit of peer research or research of things that could potentially happen and making that list of potential scenarios that they do need to plan for. So is there something that an issue or a case study that has come up recently that well, just on the news this morning on the drive-in, their L Brands is in the news again, and oh, yeah. Victoria's Secret is yeah. a subsidiary, and they have come under fire in recent months for Les Wexner. I think he was their CEO. Yeah, he's their CEO. He just is stepping down. That yeah. was just announced a couple weeks ago. And then Ed Razik, who was a top executive, and they were both... There were lots of sexual harassment allegations surrounding those two gentlemen. And 
really nothing happened. I mean, they had they had one statement, and I, I just Google. I did the Googles, and they basically just said we regret any instance where we did not achieve this objective, talking about demeaning women, and are fully committed to continuous improvement and complete accountability. Okay, well that's fine. I mean, that's complete just complete accountability. Complete accountability. But calling it subjective. Yes. Yeah. That's oh, no, not- no, it didn't call it a subjective. It called it objective. Oh, okay. We, regre- we regret any instance where we did not achieve this objective, which I guess was not demeaning women. Oh. I guess that was their objective. Uh, it, it, so, like, this means nothing to me. Yeah. And as yeah. a, I don't shop at Victoria's Secret anymore, I think I've gone on to the the what the less sexy brands <laughs> <laughs> that cover a little bit more of my extra flesh um, assets. Uh, my assets exactly <laughs> I have lots of assets but so if i were a customer that really cared about this brand it would cause me to just take a minute to say well they haven't addressed this crisis they yeah. gave a half ass response mm-hmm. and basically decided to just take the company back private and sell 55% of it to a private equity firm. And it's interesting to me that that all kind of, it kind of, I just wonder if they were related. I wonder if that was their crisis response. They're like, let's just unload 55% of it right now while our stock price is tanking. Well, and that's interesting that you mentioned stock price because I was in doing a little bit of prep for this conversation. There was a blog post recently done by a Daniel B. Klein on one of the financial websites, and it was about how can a company in crisis protect its stock price? And there had been some research cited where it said that of the 45 companies within a specific study, those that were slower and less effective in their crisis response saw a decrease of 7% in the value of their stock price on average. So, So that's average. I mean, you would anticipate that with some crises that receive a bundle of media coverage, the stock price impact can be far worse than that. And it also said that this was within the first three months following the crisis, but alarmingly, those same companies were still down 5% on average within the first year following a crisis and experienced an average loss of roughly $5 billion in market cap value. So, you know, those are just some rough averages, but that is one of the essential considerations for any company that is publicly traded is that you've got all these investors out there. You've got an investment community, not only of individual investors, but also institutional investors that you have to be communicating with them. How are you maintaining business continuity? How are you going to be able to maintain that for the long term, depending upon the scale of the crisis that you're dealing with. And one of the things like with the Victoria's Secret situation is that when you have a crisis that is self-inflicted by the management team and you're dealing with a crisis of internal culture, that's a beast. I mean, I will take an office fire any day of the week over something that is inherent to the DNA, the intellectual and the the EQ DNA of the client where, I mean, that is a problem that's not going to be fixed. And it's what we call a smoldering crisis. I mean, it's it's one that is going to just keep on drip, 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 drip over time. And when you have that kind of situation going on, 
there's really no crisis plan that can deal with it apart from, I mean, for example, if the CEO is the culprit, you know, the CEO stepping down. I mean, if they refuse to step down or- And how many times does that happen? Because they take, you're, as the CEO, you are responsible. And as the CEO, you have the power to say, we're going to have a crisis plan. There are a couple examples of like the Chipotle CEO, Steve Ells, and he was pushed out of his job. He's now executive chairman of the chain, but it was because his slow an ineffective response to the company's E. coli scandal. Well, as a fast food or fast casual dining restaurant, you would think that you would have a crisis communications plan that deals with E. coli or some, you know, food recalls or whatever, because that's what you do day in and day out. Right. But apparently it just was, you know, it wasn't handled in uh, expeditiously enough and they he faced a lot of criticism. And right. So I think CEOs need to realize that, you know, you are in the hot seat when this yeah. happens. All eyes are on you and it can mean your job. Yeah. Well, and I think that this whole conversation also makes the case for having public relations expertise represented in the boardroom. Because the boardroom is where the CEO gets held accountable. And when you don't have anyone with public relations credentials and expertise and experience and understanding about dealing with reputation as a result of these types of situations, and you really you only have a board that's like a bunch of finance people, which nothing against finance people, but they just are not going to look at this type of situation through the same lens as someone who understands that there is a court of public opinion out there that that has every bit as much impact on the value of the brand and the equity of the brand as, as anything. So, you know, I, I think that more companies have got to look seriously at integrating at least one to two board members who have public relations credentials and solid experience and expertise. And I have been advocating for quite some time that professional organizations in public relations start developing some kind of like board directory resource for publicly traded companies to have a list of very highly qualified public relations sources of expertise. And ideally, people who have also managed their own companies, you know, who are agency owners, who understand all of the demands of that and can balance certainly an understanding of the the financial side with the reputation side. As a resource for them to identify board members who could be a real asset. Okay, so Kelly, let's talk about just the role of media, the role of social media. And I mean, that gets right back down to the basic brass tacks, I think, of crisis management, how people perceive crisis management, the the focal point of that being how a crisis unfolds in the media and how we as public relations executives manage that to, you know, the, the, the best ability of the brand to sustain itself. So back when you and I were starting our careers, I guess in the 1990s here, news media was such a different bird than it is now, obviously. And and social media really wasn't part of the equation at that time. So from your vantage point, how has planning for a crisis really changed over the years as the media landscape has changed? 
Well, it's the 24-7 news cycle now yeah. that we didn't have to deal with back when we first started our careers and there were fax machines and phones. Yeah. I think it was easier to actually build meaningful relationships with the media oh, yeah. because you had to meet face-to-face or you had to pick up the phone and call each other. And it was viewed as mutually advantageous. Yes. Uh, and, in, in many cases. I mean, I, I feel like, of course, a lot of journalists, for example, if they were assigned to cover your industry or cover your company, if it was more of a locally based media outlet, then usually reporters viewed having a relationship with the public relations executive for that company to be a really valuable thing. But nowadays, just the whole construct is so different. Well, and and it has come into play for me a few times when I've had really good personal relationships with a member of the media and a crisis was at hand, Mm -hmm. I was able to, they trusted me to give them the right information and to give them the right information at the right time. But now everybody is a journalist, citizen journalism, because everybody has walking around with their device, a little computer in your hand and social media and Twitter. And so things have changed in that regard in that now I think the social media part of the crisis preparation is probably the most important element. Yeah. And two, that's the most wild, wild west part of the crisis because you're going to have stuff being posted by individuals who have not one scintilla of knowledge about your industry, about your company. They're going to be passing off judgment on you without any context of what they're even talking about. And, And those kinds of posts and can start rumors that then start taking on a life of their own. And there's no accountability for them whatsoever. You're just trying to ride herd on information that is then informing actual news reports sometimes. Well, and the sad thing is people believe a lot of it. Yeah. And kind of going off topic here, but online reviews now create crisis situations for some of our clients because people really pay attention to online reviews and businesses have to pay attention to their online reviews as well because crisis can stem from, from that. Right, exactly. Exactly. So Mary Beth, how can crises be turned into positive situations and how can that be written into the plan? Or do you think that's more of a mindset thing? Well, I always approach it as the proverbial turning lemons into lemonade. Uh, When I had the office fire situation, for example, I mean, that's, you know, a pretty daunting crisis for any business person to deal with. But, you know, in hindsight, my business grew about 300% within 18 months of my losing my office and losing all of those assets of like the information. Really? and the, Yeah, it did. And it's because I think, or a big contributing factor of it was that I was out in the media so much talking about, I mean, I used it as a story angle to talk about what to do in a crisis because lo and behold, I had experienced one clearly firsthand and it gave me that credibility. And I mean, I was on local news. I was writing blog posts about it. I was I was just very front and center. You turned it, it into an opportunity. Well, I owned it, you know. And um, I also shared some, you know, lessons learned of, hey, I, you know, very candidly, I wish I had done this differently. Or so I showed a little bit of, weakness or vulnerability in terms of areas that I, I did feel objectively like I could have done better, but also just leading from the front of having a message about that. And I think that 
a lot of companies in the area, and of course, m my market was largely in East Tennessee. That That's sort of where I grew in my business and had my focus. I think a lot of companies that may have not known about me as a public relations firm earlier, they did after that event because I was the <laughs> I was the PR firm that had dealt with a, an actual crisis. Right. So I think that that was a very significant contributing factor. Well, and you decided to control your own narrative. Right. And right. like you said, own it, which right. made all the difference. That's, that's the biggest part of it. And that's what I try to urge to clients, especially those that have been thrown into a crisis situation and feel like, you know, the weight of the world is on them. Because fr quite frankly, in their world, the weight of the world is on them. It, there's a lot of emotional stress and baggage that comes with that. You know, for entrepreneurs and business owners, their company is a huge part of their identity. And it is a huge part of how they equate their identity to their family, to their friends, yes. to their throughout their community. And for something to happen to your business is it's personal. I mean, it doesn't get any more personal. You're you're one and the same, really. Right, right. And uh, and for me, I mean, my company was my name. It was Mary Beth West Communications, and it was Mary Beth West <laughs> burned down. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and it was. I mean, just knowing that it was my name on the door that had been burned down. <laughs> Actually, we had your more, name went up in flames. Well, it's kind of funny. I mean, we uh, we actually had more flood damage than we had really fire damage or, or smoke damage. But yeah, the water damage was kind of wiped out everything. But it was, you know, yeah, having been through that, I, I think it does place someone who is a public relations consultant in a unique position of just understanding the emotional side. And that sometimes business owners, when they are caught flat-footed with a crisis, sometimes you it's hard to think straight because your mind is racing about all of the different things that of how you're being impacted. So understanding that mindset's pretty important too. Well, what about operations and technology? I'm sure you probably learned something along the lines of technology integration into operational processes and and right. how does that need to be part of the crisis planning scenario? Well, there are a lot of communication apps that are out there now that can be used for crisis management in terms of notifications. I mean, the biggest part, I think, of so many crises is making sure everyone internal to your company, number one, knows that a crisis has, has happened and that they need to be ready for their role in responding to it. But there are also external audiences, too, if your crisis is impacting an entire community. For example, in, in the community where we are, we've, we've had a, over the past 20 years, we've had a few train derailments um, mm -hmm. and the, you know, some of the, those train cars carrying maybe toxic chemicals and how that can impact an entire neighborhood that has to be evacuated. And I mean, the coal ash crises, yes, too. Yes, exactly, exactly. So when you have physical geographies of residents or businesses that are externally impacted, having a notification system and working closely with law enforcement and emergency management personnel, that all has to be factored into your planning so that you're not trying to figure out, now, how do I call this person or how do we launch notifications where, you know, maybe people's lives are on the line. So there's that technology that's that's part of it. Certainly the internal 
team communications. Uh, there's general just information management technology that can be brought to bear and part of your planning process that can be an amazing asset that we didn't have 20 years ago. You know, you were doing yes. everything. I mean, I talked about... You trying to call on the phone. Yeah. I mean, we were, as I mentioned earlier with CCA at the time, we were trying to pull in facility blueprints. And I mean, we were calling... Bell South or the telephone companies nationwide to get phone books shipped into us so that we would have the phone numbers of local law enforcement and local fire or local, all of that stuff. But now all of that is digital. So, or, or digitally accessible. I think also having technology for other forms of logistical support and so certainly on the communications end, having technology in place to monitor the coverage and the social media mentions that your brand is getting so that in the moment you can know hour by hour or even minute by minute what people are saying about your company and your brand. Are there some narratives that are starting to bubble up that are completely false or misinformed that you need to get in front of as you know the public relations team so that you can basically make sure that those aren't going to be going forward on a permanent basis and misinforming and and horribly impacting your brand based on bad information. Right. And measuring sentiment, um, you know, continually measuring the sentiment of the posts as it applies to your reputation so you can try to get ahead of it. Right. You know, and we often speak with clients about the importance of their employee relationships. We've talked about it on this podcast so many times that really, for most companies and organizations, their most important stakeholder group is their employee <laughs> base, and that's so important. So those are those relationships too are very crucial in any downturn, certainly in, in an emergency situation. And Kelly, I'd love to get your thoughts on how should companies factor in the employee piece of it, or what happens if employees are not. I mean, we talked earlier about the on-the-spot interview in the middle of the parking lot for an employee walking out. But what other things can impact the employee relationship? Well, first of all, if you wait until there's a crisis and expect the relationship to magically be there, (laughs) that's not going to work. I think that one of the biggest mistakes companies make when it comes to employees, and not just a, a company like corporate America, it could be a nonprofit organization or a government entity, is that they don't explain the why yeah. enough. So why are we doing this? Why is it in our handbook that we have a social media policy and we have a do not talk to the media policy that it's not that you're trying to silence them, but it's just that you're trying to make sure that all of the right information is put forth and right. also that you're trying to protect them and protect oh, their yeah. individuality. I mean, it, it can yes. turn their life upside down Absolutely. if they get caught in front of a mic and then that's a clip that goes viral in social media and you know you can end up having people show up at your house and news crews and all that. I mean sometimes employees I think underestimate you know in this full context how they can be impacted. I agree. Well, okay, so as we are wrapping up here, I'm, I'm thinking it'd be good for us to consider some nice uh, bite-sized information for our listeners, maybe three most important steps that we urge clients to undertake, particularly if they're in an at-risk 
industry and have no real crisis plan in place? Or if, you know, two, if they have a crisis plan or think they have a crisis plan, but it's clearly an inadequate one. So I have a little list here of things that I would recommend, but I want to hear yours first, Kelly. (laughs) Oh, good. Because if you have one that I have, then you have to change on a dime. (laughs) Exactly. So um, the three things that I think are most important when you are thinking about developing a crisis communications plan and taking the first steps is number one, make a list of your risks, a comprehensive list of potential risks. And also consider what's the worst case scenario right. for each of those. Right. What is the absolute worst case scenario for every risk that you can throw up on a giant sticky note right. and you know think about. Yeah. And then you have to evaluate how big are those risks? You know, what kind of impact could they have on the company? So how big is the risk? And then number three, who needs to know about it and when? Yeah. So there needs yeah. to be a grid of what stakeholders need to know and at what point, and maybe in some situations, everybody has to know immediately because it's already blown up on social media or in the media, but there there needs to be a strategy for who needs to know and when. Yeah, and I think a prioritization because you're yes. not going to be able to be all things to all people at the very same time in a crisis. You do have to prioritize your time and how you're going to manage that. You know, on my list, I, I guess I kind of included some areas where I think that the the startup process for developing a plan very often gets stymied. I think that convincing clients on the front end to actually have the type of plan that's ideal for them is the hardest sell because it's always something that, you know, human nature is for us, it's ostrich with the head in the sand. It's a, oh, that'll never happen to me or, oh, I'll deal with that later when I have time. And it just, the can gets kicked down the road. And so overcoming that inertia for the planning task, I think is one of the most important critical steps, because if you don't do that, the process never starts. I mean, and you can also have paralysis from analysis. You can be thinking, oh my gosh, you know, when I start thinking about all the things that could happen, you get that deer in the headlights situation. So you just don't do anything. Yeah, you don't do anything because it, it just, the whole thing seems so overwhelming. So... Similar to what, you know, kind of what you've been recommending, building the case for planning is really important. And I think that among our listeners who are public relations directors or managers within their companies, if, if they've been struggling with getting their employer to take this seriously, you can start building the case for management to go ahead and make the investment and develop a plan if you do some worst case scenario research, to your point, and also pull in some examples of crises that have hit some of your competitors yes. within your industry and go to your CEO and say, this could happen to us today. And that makes it more real. Yeah. And especially if you've had a competitor that basically got put out of business. I mean, that happens. I mean, all the time. there are no guarantees that a company is going to be able to recover if, if the crisis is bad enough. So secondly, starting that internal conversation with the team, that's the next step. And then the third that I had on my list is, you know, just understanding the peer organizations and the prior crisis impacts. It's a, it's a, it's a huge thing to do. So heed the call and don't wait until a crisis is bearing down on you to realize that you should have had a plan in place 
a long time ago. So listeners, if you have questions about the process, feel free to connect with Kelly and me on LinkedIn, or you can tweet questions for us to share maybe some high-level responses using the hashtag misinterpreted, and that's hashtag MSinterpreted. And for visibility's sake, don't forget to capitalize the PR. And we'd love for you to follow Fletcher Marketing PR at Twitter handle Fletcher PR. You can also follow me on Twitter at KD Fletcher and Mary Beth at Mary Beth West. And also, we've recently launched a monthly Twitter chat. It's the last Wednesday of each month in 2020 at noon U.S. Eastern Time. So please join us for that using the hashtag MisInterpreted as well. Our thanks to Chris Hill, our sound engineer at Knoxville-based HumblePod. Thanks for joining us, everyone. We'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us on MisInterpreted, Public Relations Demystified. You can keep up with the latest on the podcast at FletcherMarketingPR.com and on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll see you next time.